0: The last couple of Sunday mornings, we've been thinking about what we've been calling 2020 vision, and trying to, to bring to mind things that we sense God has been laying on our hearts about the immediate or short-term future of the church. And there's a one sentence that captures some of what, we're, what we've been thinking about, and we'll pop that up on the screen just now. We want to be a church where we disciple one another while reaching into the city where people of all ages participate in discipling the young. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've dealt with a couple of aspects of this already. Uh, We talked two weeks ago about discipling one another, and then we talked last week about being a church that, uh, as well as being focused on, on ourselves and our shared life here, is reaching out into the city. This morning, we want to think about a third aspect of this 2020 vision, and it's uh, that we want to be a church that's increasingly given to discipling its young. So I want to talk about that this morning very quickly in three ways, Uh, the importance of discipling the young, the challenges of doing that, and then a little bit about how we're trying to do it. So let me begin by talking about the importance of discipling our young A moment ago we read Isaiah 39. Even if you're no expert in that part of the biblical story, you you may well have got the gist of what was going on in that particular passage. Hezekiah is king in Jerusalem, and it's a time when there's a huge threat from the Babylonian empire. And these envoys or ambassadors arrive from Babylon, and he brings them right into the heart of the city, he, he basically shows them all the, the country's wealth, uh, everything that they have and everything that they own. And you and he can't help but think, as you're reading it, that that doesn't feel like a good idea, but, but that's what he's doing anyway. And sometime later, God's prophet calls with Isaiah, or, or sorry, God's prophet Isaiah, calls with Hezekiah the king, and he says to him, um, "See those guys who, who were here a while ago." they're going to come back. They're going to come back and they're going to come and take away everything that they saw here. All that wealth that you showed them, they're going to take it away with them. But they're going to do more than that. They're going to take your descendants with them too. Your children and your grandchildren and make them slaves in Babylon. And, and it's at that point you get to the dramatic climax of the story. We're waiting for Hezekiah's response. What's he going to say in response to that news? We'd expect him to say, I-, I don't believe it. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. We'd expect him to say, I- Isaiah, you say that's the word of the Lord, but is it fixed? Is there any way it could be changed? If we repent and, uh, and tell God we're sorry, is there any way this can be reversed? Is there anything can be done or is it too late But that's not what Hezekiah says. Here's what he says to the prophet Isaiah. He said, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. And then the biblical narrator shows us his short-term and selfish reasoning. Hezekiah was happy enough with this news because he thought there will be peace and security in my time. see what he's saying okay so my children and my grandchildren they might suffer they they might lose out but i'm not that worried because it's going okay for me here and now it's appalling it's a quite horrendous dereliction of duty Tell me this, do you think Hezekiah is the last person, the last leader in the people of God who's ever acted in that way? I'm not too fussed about the future. I'm not too worried about the generations that follow me. Just let me have life and church on my terms. just want peace and security, comfort and ease in my lifetime. I'd really like it if things worked out for me. Friends, it seems to me that Belfast is full of churches where the leaders led in exactly that kind of a way. It's a quite horrendous dereliction of duty. Why is it important to care for and to disciple our young? Because every responsible parent even, I would argue, beyond the, the human community into the, the animal community, every responsible parent knows that nurturing your young is what you're here for. The German reformer Martin Luther once said, For what purpose do we older folks exist than to care for, instruct, and bring up the young? Of course Luther would have that view, because he was a man of the Bible He knew what Solomon had said, what he had encouraged us to do. Train a child in the way he should go. And Solomon assured us that when he is old, he'll not turn from it. Luther would have known Paul's words to Titus. Teach the older women to train the younger women. You, Titus, encourage the younger men. Pass it on. Pass on your faith from one generation to the next. By the way, I'm quite persuaded as a church leader by the way in which Jesus did ministry. And there's lights going on for me all the time that I'd never really noticed before. Jesus was a youth leader. Jesus was 30 when he began his public ministry because that's the age when rabbis began to minister. And if, as I'm Expecting to be the case, they're following the similar pattern of rabbi and disciple that existed in the culture, then it's likely that the disciples were probably in their mid to late teens. Jesus, whenever he had three years of public ministry to engage in, when he had a choice of how to, how to act most strategically and how to best leave us a model for the church, did this. He discipled the young. That's the work he chose to do. So discipling the young, it's our greatest privilege, our greatest responsibility. I think that would be true in any church for the reasons I've explained. It's it's just the the human and biblical mandate for adult life. But I think it's particularly important for a church like this. And I'll bring you back to our age profile, which I seem to end up showing here every couple of years for different (laughs) slightly different reasons. The figures are too small for you to read from your seat, but you'll see the shape of the curve. Each of the columns on the graph represents a five-year age band in the congregation, and the height indicates how many members we have in that band. So if you start on the left-hand side, the first five columns tell us that we have 50, 60 under fives. Then we have forty-five, sorry, 48 members who are between five and ten 29 who are between 10 and 14, and so on. There have been times when I've taken you right across that graph, but we're not doing that today. We're just staying to the left-hand side of it. So I want you to notice the the left-hand five columns. You'll notice a dip uh, in the fifth column across. It's the lowest part almost of our age profile, and it's in the 20 to 20 age group. So we don't have a lot of people who are Um, either at university or in the first few years of work. Um, It it generally is a little bit later that we begin to meet people. But I want you now to move left with me from that low dip. So you'll notice that we have 29 older teens and 29 younger teens. And then it begins to really take off with 48 uh, kids between 5 and 10... And 60 wee ones, that 60 is never up to date for reasons that you know if you're here and you hear us announcing births almost every week. Folks, you don't need to be a genius with statistics to see what's going on here. There's a wave, a tsunami of children and young people growing through the life of our congregation. When I came here, we had less than a dozen kids in the Sunday Club and I think we have around about 100 by now. We're birthing youth ministries every year or two as we have to readjust, always asking the question, what do we need to be doing? What needs to change? What do we do next? We're a church that simply must prioritize the discipling of children and young people. <coughs> Talked about the importance of that. Secondly, the challenge of discipling the young. There was a drama played out one time quite recently at, at one of the big Christian conferences over in the mainland. They were gathering in a, a big top, one of the huge tents, a bit like New Horizon, uh, I'm guessing. And they used some fresh statistics that they had available to them about the rate at which young people leave church. So the the big top was full of people, people of all ages. And the narrator began by shouting out age 10 and a few children stood up and walked out. That symbolized the number of kids who leave the the wider church at the age of 10. Then the narrator, narrator shouted out age 11 and more children left. And with every jump in age, there are more and more children heading for the exit. Suddenly, at the age 15 and 16, there's this wave of teenagers get up and walk out, symbolizing the, the surge of teenagers who leave communities like this and the faith of their childhood. It was a very sobering moment for the people in that tent and it's even a sobering moment for us as we reflect on, on that reality. Last year I met with the young people in our Bible class and this is one of the things I shared with them. I told them about this drama and here's what I said to a bunch of our guys who were mostly 14 years old. I said to them unless Kirkpatrick Memorial is somehow incredibly different than most of the churches we see around us, then two thirds of you aren't going to be here in four years' time. I said, if that happens, it'll break your parents' hearts and it'll break the heart of our church family. Now let's talk about that. And that's what we did we spent the morning talking about this kind of thing i asked them a question i said why do young people leave church i wanted them to tell me i I don't know i don't read much about these things i I wanted them to tell me and they did so their answers are here on the slide sorry it's a bit jam-packed i wanted to fit it all on one slide Young people leave church because they lose interest, become distracted, they're too busy, they're tired, they don't like church services, they find them too long because of prayer pressure, because there's no Bible class or discussion, because they don't believe anymore, because they're pregnant, because they've left for university, and because they marry someone who doesn't believe. Quite a a mixture, as you can see. I put in brackets the number of times that different ideas recurred in their thinking and, and put them in, in that order. I want you to notice something. The reasons that young people have given about why young people leave church have as much or more to do with what's going on inside them as what the community is doing for them or to them. It's about their internal lives more so than their external environment. And and if you read about this, the the research does back this up. Most of the religious beliefs, behaviours and expectations that define a person's life have been developed and embraced by the age of 13. That means that if a kid by the age of 13 isn't, isn't committed to Jesus Christ or seriously interested in what life with Jesus Christ is all about, then they don't have a whole lot of glue to a community that's all about Jesus Christ. There's a strong chance that in those later years of secondary school they won't stick around. That might sound frightening, but if you think about it, 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 it's entirely entirely the case. Once you're in your mid-teens, and certainly by the time you're in your late teens, your parents can't force you and and don't want to force you to live in any particular kind of way. They, They don't want and won't be able to force a young person to come to church. If you don't want to be there, you won't be there. And that means that the best thing we can do as a church family is to prepare people to reach that stage in their life with a desire to be there, to be a part of a community like this. So, what we do in Sunday club and Bible class and breakfast club, it matters. It matters intensely. That means as a parent, my deepest hope for my kids is they can learn to internalize everything that's presented to them externally in this community. Everything that we teach them at home, we pray that God will work by his Spirit in their hearts and and move them. If they don't ever internalize it, if they're only swimming along in a in a cosy Christian subculture for as long as we can regulate that for them, when, then when they leave, when they go to to start a job or go to university, the wheels fall off, and it's showing that there was nothing there. Why do teenagers leave church? Mostly because they haven't in, internalised the the. The values, the story, the gospel that's at the heart of a community like this. Our challenge is to introduce our young people to Jesus Christ, to have them fall in love with Him and to be a part of His community in a way that they'd never want to leave. We've talked about the importance of discipling the young, the the challenge of discipling. Let's spend the last few moments thinking about how we're trying to do it. For the most part, the answer is that we're going to point our young people, our children and young people to Jesus. We're going to share our lives with them and model to them what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to invite them to play their part in this community too. When I was out with the kids last year, we did a short study of the other passage we read this morning, the one about Jesus in the temple as a 12-year-old. A boy who wanted to learn from the religious leaders of his day. A boy who wanted to learn to be a man. A boy who was effectively a young disciple himself. And we talked about the generation gap that exists in our culture, And we talked about how churches often choose to replicate that within the church. Churches normally keep teenagers away from grown-ups as far as possible. There's a youth ministry track over here, and then there's grown-up church over here. Churches are basically saying to the kids, come along to our exciting, entertaining youth ministry program while you're 11 to 18. We'll make sure that it's all about you. In fact, implicitly we'll be teaching you that it's all about you. And then, at a later stage, depending on the church, when you're 18, 21, 25, we'll expect you to come into church To discover that it's not all about you. That it's all about following Jesus. And building each other up in him. I asked our Bible class kids to reflect on the reality of parallel youth ministry. And I asked them a few questions. When do you think a person who is exposed to parallel track youth ministry feels ready to come into church. 13-year-old boy. Never! And of course he's right because he's being trained how not to be in or part of the church. I asked him another question. How does that approach help prepare you for the time when you want to be Finally, a part of the church family. It doesn't, they all agreed. How well do you think this model will help us deal with the overall problem of teenagers leaving church? It, it won't, they told me. It might artificially help to keep a few kids around a little bit longer, but it'll undermine the learning, discipling experience of all the kids to make that possible let me finish by sharing what we're trying to do at Kirkpatrick Memorial to try to disciple our young people and then to suggest how you might play your part in this our youngest children in crash and tots spend time together in the company of their parents in a community of people who are praying for them caring for them and teaching them gently about jesus that seems to me to be a good thing to be doing with our youngest our primary school children are taught by grown-ups in sunday club or bb and gb but there's a value that we've increasingly tried to bring to this work and that is rather than one person teaching a class or teaching bb or gb let's get the church family to raise these kids So for example, we might have Rachel who was speaking here this morning out with our young primary school girls talking to them about Jesus in in play and sport because Rachel works for Christians in sport and she's thought well about that. Or we might have in the boys brigade Michael Montgomery who is the hero of all our primary school boys because he's an airline pilot. Coming in to talk about what it means to follow Jesus while you're flying a plane. They brought me in for the minister week. <laughs> Boys loved it. Um, but we're doing that. We're bringing, we're bringing the family in. And we're saying, you're not just going to be brought up by the one person who happened to get the job of Sunday school teacher for you this year. We're all in this together. by the time our kids go into lower secondary school they enter into what we call bible class and yf and we've really this is where this value of engaging with the adult church really starts to kick in in earnestness in earnest would would have done Um, so we go out and we have a thing called a step-up program with them where we teach them uh, about what what it might be like in a few years time to step up into the church community They do things like field trips to church, you've probably seen that, where they come into church on a Sunday and then I go out the next week and they tell me how boring it was. That's how it works. And then we have a conversation about that. We've done other things with them. Last year we had a really big group of these guys graduating out of that junior youth ministry into the senior one. So we put on a special weekend for them, which we want to be able to replicate once the numbers allow it, called an Elevate Weekend where we take them away and give them a a great time together, but, but talk to them. We brought Brian Nixon down to tell them about his faith in Jesus, but also about his vision for these gatherings on a Sunday morning and what he does with the welcome team. It's no mistake, as far as I can see, that some of our teenagers wanted to help with the welcome team because they've encountered Brian and they've heard of his heart for these things. And then there's the, the guys who graduate from Breakfast Club—they go, in, or sorry, from Bible Class go into what we call Breakfast Club. They meet together for breakfast at ten o'clock uh, with each other and with some leaders, and then they, they come together into to church. And we have invited the guys this year uh, to to come and start to play their part. So we love it. If you're the parent of one of our fourth form and above and they haven't yet told you or asked you whether they can be part of the the holiday bible club team make sure they do we want them as a group to be learning how to teach younger than them uh, about jesus Uh, we're hoping to have a mentoring scheme we already do have but we're hoping to grow a mentoring scheme where every Teenager in the congregation who wishes could have an uh, adult accompanying them. The truth is we recognize that this is one of our biggest challenges here in Kirkpatrick Memorial. And that's why we had a a youth and children's work consultation last year. And why we're trying to to act on it uh, this year and into the future. By the way, if you have any ideas about how we can better disciple our children and young people, come and speak to me. We're all ears. That's what we want to learn how to do. We want to do that as well as we possibly can. So that's what we're trying to do. How can you play your part? Um, Three three suggestions. Firstly, welcome our children and young people. See on a Sunday morning, if there's a kid standing in front of you in the aisle and you're trying to get by, tap them on the shoulder and say, Hi, it's great to see you. Let them know that we think they're great, that we love having them here, that they're a crucial part of our family. That's it. Welcome them. Think about your life together gatherings. If you have children in your families that meet together, and if you have teenagers in them, take a half hour sometime in discipleship group to talk about how are you going to bless the teenagers in your group. When families bump into each other and share life together, what role could we give the teenagers? What? Let's start, to, let's start to make the connections. Let's make this a community that they don't ever want to leave. So we welcome them. We encourage them to follow Jesus. I'm not going to say much about that. It's, it's simply what we promise every time we baptize a young one, that we're going to point them to Jesus as a church family. Let's do it. Because that's what we're promising to do. And thirdly, encourage them to play your part. I hope, by the way, that you love it when the kids are doing something here among us. When you're coming through the door and it's one of the teenagers who welcomes you, I hope you love that. They might look like they've just fallen out of bed. They might try to shake your hand with both hands in their pockets. I don't care. Just love it that they're, that they're getting in to, and, and when they serve tea or coffee, I, I don't know what it tastes like, but, but drink it and smile and say thank you and bless them. Because they're... a thing happened here just a few weeks ago that really put this all into perspective for me. I was preaching at or leading in an evening service, can't quite remember, and I turned around, I think, at the start of the last hymn, and I noticed that we had an eight year old playing the drums. Now the interesting part of that story is that I didn't notice until the last hymn that's how good he was. Do you remember what Fergie used to say? If you're good enough, you're old enough. Nobody who has a gift and a willingness and wants to use it here is ever too young to exercise their ministry here in our church family encourage them to be a part of things I want to close uh, with a word to the parents of our teenagers I have a son who will be 11 soon so I'm starting to see this all a little bit closer our teenage sons and daughters will push the boundaries with us I understand that that's normal I'm no expert I think that's what they're supposed to do if they're not, go and have a wee word with them. See if you can... They, they push boundaries. They're trying, to find, they're trying to find their way from childhood to adulthood. And they need to bump into a few adults along the way to work that out. There'll be moments along the way where one of the places where you bump into them is about church. And they'll tell you that church is rubbish. And that they don't want to come. And that's normal too. Do you understand how normal that is? Where else do teenagers get to hang out with people the age of their parents and their grandparents? Who's talking that up in school on a Monday morning? Nobody. This this all needs a bit of thought and work. Could I make three suggestions? First of all, don't talk church down in front of your kids. Or agree with them if they want to. I hesitated to put that up there this morning in case you thought I was being defensive i'm not I want you to believe me about that. I don 't feel defensive about that, but I want us to learn to disciple our children well, and talking down church in their presence will not help us to do that. Church isn't rubbish. You don't believe that it is in your heart of hearts. Somewhere below the frustrations of the moment, you know that there's something good and worthwhile here. That's why you came. That's why you're still here. And it's why you tolerate stuff that you find difficult. So don't talk church down in front of your kids, talk church up with your kids. There's something good here at the heart of this. Something important. But your teenage son or daughter might need a bit of time to to begin to recognize even gently what those good things are. When the opportunity arises, tell them about what Bible teaching at its best has done for you. Tell them about how your mental furniture is different because God's word has been shared with you. Share with them about times when worshipping together has been an encouragement to you. Talk to them about times when people in the church family have walked beside you and carried you through some of the hardest times in your life. Talk church up with them. Make something up if you have to. I'm joking. I hope. I hope you can find something. My, first, my third suggestion, those sound probably quite hard, what I've just said. This one's far harder. Trust God with your kids. This is where the rubber hits the road. We're going to really struggle with this. You see, we're a community of self made people at Kirkpatrick Memorial. We pay a lot of lip service to trusting God, but we don't trust him with anything. We get ourselves educated, get our careers, bring in the income, and build it up from the ground up, our own lives. And that's why this stuff stresses us so much. Because you have to trust God with your kids. You can't organize this or manage it or run it. Folks, we've got to take a different view, I think. And there, any parent can do that now today. It doesn't matter what age your kid is or if you're expecting a baby. Here's what you can say to yourself. You can do what Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the prophet, did. She prayed for years to have that son. And when God gave her the son, what's the first thing she does? She goes to the temple. And she says, Lord, he's yours. Here. Have my son. You gave him to me. He belongs to you. Only you can do anything with him. That's what we have to do. Stop trying to run their world for them. Stop trying to give them perfect church to blackmail them into staying with us. Just follow Jesus. Invite them to be part of it. Maybe our kids won't stay in the church. Maybe we won't be able to persuade them. But here's the thing even if they do leave, we don't need to give up hope. You see, I know a story a story about a kid who decided he didn't want to be at home anymore and who left. He went to a far off place, a very different kind of place than the home that he grew up in. And then the word says, one day he came to his senses. He remembered how good home was was and he remembered how much his father loved him and there was nothing nothing that would stop him but go home let's make home a great place and let's make sure our kids know that their heavenly father loves them because we have shown it to them Let's disciple our young. Amen.